our topic. So tonight we have a very special call. We're continuing on with our monthly theme of navigating holidays, holiday eating, food, mindset. You know, last week was really a lot on the strategies when it came to holiday eating and different things like that. Tonight, Coach Ariel and I, we're going to be talking about really navigating holiday food without the guilt. I know it's October and the holidays are like, you know, five, six plus weeks away. Today is Canadian Thanksgiving. So if you are from Canada, happy Thanksgiving. Um, and we really want you to feel totally equipped and prepared. You know, Trader Joe's has all their pumpkin food now, which for me is a national holiday. The first day that they launched pumpkin cream cheese is my favorite day of the year. Um, I did buy six. I froze most of them, but I did buy six just in case. So if your Trader Joe's is sold out, I am the reason um, <laughs> for it. Um, but I'm also really excited because this is Coach Ariel's first time getting to co-host um, Mindset Monday slash HBS podcast with me. So also welcome Coach Ariel. She's been on the team for several months now, but if you haven't gotten to meet her, interact with her, please, please, please go check out her office hours and say hi. And if you're going to be at the Jen's Gym live event at the end of this month, she's going to be here. So you can hug her very adorable and very petite self, as I've recently learned your height. And it would have been really fun if I didn't know uh, <laughs> when I first met you. There's like a foot between us, by the way, you guys. So it's going to be really great. Um, <laughs> okay, amazing. So let's dive in. What's up? Welcome, Coach Ariel. Why, like, where do you even want to dive in and get started? Like, should we just start by the definition of guilt? Yeah. So first, hi, I'm so excited to finally be on. Um, and I'm excited to dive into this topic and just sort of unwrap um, guilt and how we've come to even associate it with food in the first place. Um, I'm a bit of a word nerd. You'll learn pretty quickly. So I do like defining terms. I think it kind of just helps set the context so we all know um, what we're talking about here. So guilt shame, grief, even. These are all very powerful and universal emotions and experiences. Um, and if we look up guilt, it's actually a feeling of having done wrong or failed at something or committed a crime, right? And so when we hear that definition, it almost feels very out of place that we're even having it in the conversation around food in the first place. Like, where did this come from that we even are thinking that certain foods are a crime, that they are inherently bad or wrong? And so I think starting it with some of that historical context would be really helpful and help us kind of segue into how do we then unlearn some of these things as well. Yeah, and I feel like that definition ties in so well with something like a metaphor that I've used before in the past, where sometimes we become this food toddler, where it becomes this forbidden fruit of when we're told we can't have something or we can't do something, then we're so much more likely to want to do it, but then feel guilty, feel bad, feel like we broke a rule when in reality, the rule doesn't need to exist in the first place. So like, why is it that you think we feel guilty by eating certain foods? Yeah. Um, so, you know, some of this is a little bit of, you know, personal opinion as well, but 
I think a lot of it we can look back into culture, into the narratives that have been perpetuated in media, um, social media, um, and you know when we kind of started labeling foods as good or bad. Um, diet culture, as you know, some of you guys might know that term. Um, it's kind of you know where these ideas of very restrictive calorie diets came from, cutting out certain food groups, things like that. Um, and I also like to share this story because when I learned about this, and I I was an anthro major, so I'm like any opportunity to dive into like culture history, I'm all about it. Um, but it's you know it's about this woman. Her name is Dr. Lulu Hunt Peters, and basically she has she's known as the queen of calories, and she was responsible for popularizing you know one of our first modern diet book. This was back in a little bit before the 1920s. And basically she popularized a 1200 calorie diet and really started um, perpetuating this narrative that associated food with um, morality, right? What's good or bad, started associating it with womanhood, with worth, right? Mind you, putting it in the context of what social beauty standards were at the time. It was very sort of that slim, 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 uh, slender physique. Um, and so that was all in her in her book being uh, associated, again, with uh, what it meant to be a good person, a good woman. Um, and it seems outdated, right? And we're kind of like, well, no, like this, that sounds ridiculous. But we see it today perpetuated. We see it in kind of running in the back line of certain ads, of nutrition labels, of even, you know, what we think we should or need to look like. And so it still very much exists. And I hear it in, in concerns and feedback from clients when they're, when they're talking to me about these things. And so, um, it's still here today. And I think that at least in part, obviously I'm not going to fully put it on this one thing but it was a big contributor to this cultural narrative and so I just like to share that story again so we can start to unravel it a bit more. Well the history is really interesting and fascinating you said it her book was from the 1920s when she started to really that's crazy to me I wrote that down because I'm like imagine tracking your calories in the 1920s (laughs) Um, especially with I mean, just the lack of technology. So that's crazy to me just because I'm like, how do they do that standpoint? But also, if you think about it, that was literally a hundred years ago. And a hundred years later, we still have this false belief, this misinformation and this misconception. So even crazier than the idea of like, how did they even do that? is now how the heck has this lasted for as long as it has and how have our mothers, grandmothers and great grandmothers really almost passed down this misinformation. I know you were saying this earlier, but we have a lot of unlearning to do, right? And so I know a big part of today's conversation was really gonna be more mindset focused because last week was such a strategy session. I know this week you wanted to bring in a whole new perspective So where do we begin with rewriting this narrative and sort of unlearning that idea of I need to eat as little calories as possible 
food is bad. I feel guilty. I have this unhealthy relationship. Like, where do you want to begin there? Yeah, there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of things that can go into this, but I kind of wanted to narrow it down to just some four initial places and conversation starters that we can start to have here in in this conversation, but also for you to take after you're tuning in or listening to this to journal, reflect on, let it sort of marinate in. And my hope is that it will just start to open that aperture a little bit and help you to start questioning some of these things. Um, and really the goal, again, is to, to start repairing and re- reclaiming that relationship so that we're not having such a strong association with food and our guilt and we can enjoy the holidays this season. That's what I want above all else. Um, so the first you know, thing I wanted to share of like a good starting place is around identifying triggers. Um, and this can be triggers associated with certain food. It can be with certain alcohol, um, patterns of behavior. Um, and I don't know, you know, if, if the squad is familiar what really trigger, what a trigger is, but really it's just something that activates a strong emotional or psychological reaction. Um, and it can often put you into an unconscious or default set of patterns of behavior, right? So it's like something happens, we see a thing, we hear a thing, we're around certain people, we go to a place, whatever that might be. And then we kind of have a default set of reactions that occur afterwards. Um, you know, there are helpful triggers and unhelpful ones. I think we learned about this uh, in last month's. Um, monthly theme that we can use triggers to our advantage, right? To stimulate a positive behavior change that, you know, is a pattern of behavior that we want to encourage ourselves to do. Where they become problematic is when they're sort of unconscious or default, right? So we're just like not aware of them. And then we default into that um, pattern of behavior. This can come up a lot during the holidays um, for some, because there are, you know, a lot of Things that are very triggering for people during the holidays. Um, and so, you know, I can give some personal examples, but I'd be curious, Jen, if any come to mind for you, if anyone listening, there's a trigger, you know, hearing that automatically, you're like, oh, I know one for me. Um, anyone that, anything that comes up for you? So I will invite the squad. Drop any comments in the chat or even drop a one if you want to come off and then we'll go off in order. I think for me, are you talking about an emotional trigger? So something that or in sense like a food trigger, like, oh, if I saw this food, this is my trigger food. You know what I mean? Uh, any and all. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, so I think something for me that I used to really struggle with at the holidays was that I always had control over food in my home, but when I would go home for the holidays, I wouldn't have control over the food that was in the house. And especially either before my journey started or during the early phases of my journey, I felt like I specifically really struggled with just saying no, even if it was something I didn't necessarily like. So my stepdad has a huge sweet tooth. And so there would always be cookies, ice cream, snacks, treats, like Oreos, fresh baked, chips, Ahoy, like whatever it was. And so I would go from having no access to all of these things to then having access to like literally every type of junk food that you could imagine. And 
because I would be flying from the West Coast to the East Coast, I'd be on a different sleep schedule, which would mean everyone else would be going to bed eight o'clock, nine o'clock, but I'd still be up till midnight, 1 a.m. because that was my normal bedtime routine. So for me, the trigger was once everyone went to bed, I was bored and had nothing to do. I would go to the kitchen, you know, make a smorgasbord of junk food, and then I would eat it in private also so that no one could say anything, judge me for it, like make comments. And then I would just like literally sit there and watch TV and eat shit <laughs> um, until I went to bed. And then blame my stepdad, I'd be like, oh, and my mom's like, where did all the Oreos go? I'd be like, it must've been Steve, it wasn't me. Uh, so I think that was like a big one for me growing up. Yeah. Yeah. That's, um, I can relate to a certain extent of, for me, um, a, a big one for me was with people, um, people. And for me, it was less around food and more around alcohol where, you know, friends giving, you know, you're getting together with friends or whatever. And whenever it would be, you know, a certain friend group, um, I just tended to drink more. And it was something that I had to do a lot of work around with my relationship around alcohol. And I used to feel so powerless in those situations where I'd be like, oh, it just kind of happened. Like, I don't know. And it wasn't until I started asking some of these questions, kind of looking into this a bit more, where I was like, oh, it's like when I'm around these people. And I want to put this disclaimer too. It's not to put blame on those people or it's like their fault or the triggers are or whatever it is. It's more just to have that awareness of yourself so you can be in the driver's seat during those situations, go in prepared knowing I know this is a triggering situation. What can I do to set myself up for success? We'll kind of go into like boundaries and stuff after and that will tie into this. But it's all about putting yourself in the empowering seat and in the driver's seat. And so that was sort of something really big that came up for me specifically around the holidays. Especially everyone, you know, from college, high school comes home. It's like a whole thing. Um, and so, yeah, that was some, that was a personal example for me. Right. And I think it's a good contrast too that there can be different types of triggers. You can have environmental triggers, you can have relationship, relational triggers, group triggers and triggers for different things as well. I mean, I often forget that alcohol can be such a common challenge when it comes to those social circumstances and situations. I had a really unique upbringing where I don't know if you guys know this, I grew up in an alcohol free household for the first like 10 years of my life. And my mom to this day has still never had a sip of alcohol. Of course, you know, I went to college and had to learn the hard way how to deal with alcohol. Uh, um, now I have a much, you know, a very like balanced typical relationship with it. And so Ashley asked a really wonderful question where she said, what if you use alcohol as a way to warm up socially? Um, because I think sometimes we can have this all or nothing mindset, but Ariel, like, what do you use, right? In social scenarios and situations to still enjoy alcohol without it, maybe sabotaging your goals or making you feel guilty after the fact. Yeah. And that's such a good question. Um, I think for me, it, again, it's going back to just making sure that these choices are conscious. And you're aware where it becomes problematic is when we're kind of in that powerless default unconscious patterning. If you, you know, I'll say for me, for example, if I go to a friend's place 
and this again will go into like setting boundaries maybe it's a certain situation where I'm like I'm just gonna have two glasses of wine and that feels good for me if someone offers me more you know I'm good um if you know I know that alcohol can very much be used as sort of that crutch to kind of warm up and and you know feel more comfortable so be it I think it only becomes again problematic is if if we're kind of like defaulting to that and we feel like we have to rely on it and it's like the only way something for me that I had to challenge myself with was going to social situations and just not drinking because for me that was important for me to realize to be like oh I I don't need it but I can choose that I just want to in this situation and so you know I would self-assess right a lot of this is going to be radical self-honesty assessing where you're at and being true with yourself do you feel like it's more a default feeling like you have to do it and you're like powerless to this thing or is it just you know I just want to have like a few beers or have a cocktail whatever and it's more like that and then you can kind of you know decide your approach from there yeah I think like everything there's a balance to it so Ashley, of course, if you're in these social situations and you want to be enjoying alcohol, absolutely all of the way. And the thing that I would invite you to just like reflect on as well could be, um, does it need to be alcohol, right? Like there's so many non-alcoholic beverages, options, different things like that. Um, We had people over this weekend and, you know, we got some drinks, but then I also got the, like a case of poppy prebiotic sodas And so I basically cracked it open, put it in a red solo cup and it looked as if I was having my own beverage, right? But nobody cared about what it was specifically that I was drinking. If you're like me and you're socially awkward and you just like to have one or two drinks to loosen up, it's all good. I also had one or two drinks. Um, But for me, I know in social settings and scenarios, like two drinks is really all I need to feel a little bit buzzed to be like, you know, kind of let go of some of the nervousness that I might feel to meet and interact with new people or people that I haven't seen in a long time. And less and less you drink, the worse your tolerance is, because I promise you 10 years ago, that was not my tolerance, Um, (laughs) which is really great because if you're going out, you're saving a ton of money by not having to buy as many drinks. I think another trigger though, whether it's with food or whether alcohol, I think seeing family for a lot of clients and women in this program can also be super triggering. Um, Unwanted comments from family members, whether it's your mom, whether it's your grandpa or your grandma, whether it's your aunt. Like um, I used to also really battle with one of my grandparents would consistently pull my mom aside and be like, what are you going to do? Like, you know, Jen looks like she's gained weight. Is she not eating healthy in school? Like, what are we going to do about it? As if it was any of their business, what was going on with my body and my health. And then, um, yeah, or sometimes family members will make those comments directly to your face. Again, and it can just feel really hurtful. And I think they don't even really know that they're hurting you in that moment. I think I would hope that they think that they're helping by doing that. (laughs) Um, but again, like it's just never the right time. It's never an appropriate time to make a comment on someone else's body. And so that kind of ties in to the next thing that I know you were going to talk about, which was getting clear on your boundaries, which I know you were talking more so in boundaries on like the food and the drinking, but also even just 
boundaries with other people. So what do those boundaries look like when it comes to the food aspect side of things? Yeah, totally. So, um, you know, boundaries, we can have sort of internal boundaries, right? Ones within ourselves, which we talked about. Then there's more external boundaries, ones that we have to communicate to others, (laughs) which can be hard and challenging to do. Um, And basically, it's just things that are, you know, are not okay with you. Um, They can be physical, emotional, psychological boundaries, time boundaries, things like that. And so it becomes, you know, like getting clear on what some of those are. So if you do have an Aunt Jo that's always commenting on your body, whatever you're wearing or whatever that might be, it might be about sending her a text message before your family dinner and saying, hey, Aunt Jo, so excited to see you for Thanksgiving dinner. Just so you know, you know, you might not realize this. It makes me really uncomfortable uh, when you comment on, you know, my body. I just appreciate, you know, this year you just didn't do that. Um, otherwise, I mean, you, you can you can decide what you want to say, but you, you could literally be like, otherwise, I might not come this year. You kind of have to decide how strict or firm you are or what those boundaries are for you. But the main point just being getting clear on what feels good for you and that boundary and then being able to take that next step of just, you know, articulating it to the people who are your loved ones. And like Jen said, ideally have your best interests in, in mind. They just might not realize that it's hurting you more than it's helping you. Yeah. And I love this topic. So speaking of therapy at the beginning of this call, one of the things I learned in therapy about boundaries is that they're put in place. They benefit both of you. I think I used to have this really negative connotation around boundaries of I'm being mean, I'm being bossy as a people pleaser. I should just let people do whatever they want and I'll just deal with it later, you know? And with the boundary, it's also perfectly okay and appropriate to line up a consequence, which again, I had to reframe the phrase consequence because I was like, that's a punishment. That's being mean. That's being critical. But you literally gave the perfect example of, hey, hey, Aunt Joe, right? My boundary is if I'm going to come, please do not make any comments about my body, my clothes, my weight, et cetera, et cetera. And if you choose to cross that boundary, the consequence is that I maybe won't come or I'll leave the room or this, you know, different things like that. And so you can sort of set those different boundaries and consequences in place. You can even practice with your coach. I know coaches have had so many practice sessions. (laughs) Okay. Here's the exact boundary. Let's script it out. I'm someone that gets anxious in confrontation, even if it's literally asking someone to do me the common decency to not make a comment on my body, (laughs) you are fully entitled to set those boundaries externally, right? And even setting boundaries in peer pressure. So I think this is another thing that a lot of us struggle with, especially, I feel like there's a lot more peer pressure with alcohol, but also I think some clients can relate to peer pressure. And the irony of this one, I guess maybe comment in the chat, if you've ever had a family member make a negative comment about your body, but then put a shit ton of food on your plate and get mad at you for not eating all of the food and get offended that you didn't like their meal or they didn't eat seconds. Like they're literally <laughs> like mad at you for gaining weight, but also 
pissed off if you don't eat all the food that they cook for you and put on your plate. It's like, you just can't lose in that situation. So at least me and Island have experienced that um, over the years, right? And um, I know that you also um, had some notes on what like an internal boundary would look like. So since we talked about external, can you also just give an example of an internal boundary? Yeah, for sure. Um, so, you know, and I think it kind of segues a little bit into what you were just saying, where it's an internal boundary is just when you set with yourself. Um, so after kind of identifying how you want to approach a holiday or whatever it might be, a gathering, and say you do decide, I, I want to have two cocktails at this event. Um, that would be an internal boundary that you set. You don't have to tell anyone that right? You don't need to like broadcast it to the room. Um, you would just, you know, proceed, right? You would just execute on that. And then you could always use Jen's trick of then switching to whatever in your solo cup afterwards to avoid questioning and to avoid having to externally communicate that boundary. Um, and then that boundary would become external if someone was, again, peer pressuring you, trying to get you to, to push outside of that internal boundary. And then you would have to advocate for yourself. And I think, you know, the biggest takeaway I want you guys to have from this is just learning to be your best advocate to um, being true to what being true to yourself and knowing that deep down, you truly do know what's best for you and trusting that. And then just having the courage to say that to people, even if it's hard. Um, yeah. Yeah. Because it's your choice. You know, someone else can choose whether or not they're going to respect your boundary, but you have to choose whether or not you feel comfortable and confident laying it down. And something that I've specifically used in the past is simply saying, you know, when people maybe push back, because I remember I was literally in college during my weight loss journey transformation. And I like decided to do three months, no alcohol. Of course I wound up reintegrating it into my life, but I had just turned 21. All my friends had just turned 21. So I had to set down some really hard and fast boundaries. And the line that worked most effectively was simply saying, I'm just focusing on feeling my best because the second you say, Oh, I can't eat that because I'm trying to lose weight oh, I can't do that because I joined this program. Oh, I can't do that. People are going to start pushing back, right? Because it's going to make them uncomfortable. It's going to make them question themselves. Or it's gonna, they're going to subconsciously start to feel guilty of like, oh, well, if Becky can't eat this, then I shouldn't be eating it. And then they're going to kind of try and get you, right? To buy in to their belief and their goals and all those different things. So you have permission to just say, oh, you know what? I feel my best when I eat or drink blank, or when I don't eat or drink blank, I hope that you can understand and appreciate that. And just leaving it at that to avoid, you know, a lot of times less is more, right? And so once we've identified our triggers, like you just said, and gotten clear on our boundaries, what is the next step for us to really focus on this new mindset? Yeah. And I love what you did there too, Jen, of just like tying it all together. It's like setting the boundaries and not feeling guilty about it. So going back to obviously the theme of this is like doing all this while avoiding guilt. So I, I really love that. Um, 
The other thing was, um, you know, understanding our food stories. Um, food is so ingrained in our culture, in our ho- in our holidays, like things we learn from media. Um, you know, you can't really watch like a rom-com without, you know, seeing the breakup scene and the girls like deep down in the tub of dead and cherries um, or like, you know, face first in a bottle of wine and whatever that is. And innocence, right? We all enjoy it. But what you learn from that unconsciously is breakup equals Ben and Jerry's, right? So, like, we've learned, like, these associations. Um, and some of it is great. Some of it, you know, culturally you build these connections with your family. I know being, you know, half Puerto Rican, food is very, like, part of our culture. It's how we, you know, get together and we tell stories or whatever that may be. Um, but some of them are unhelpful. So some food stories that, you know, start to think of what are the food stories that I have? And this could be around food, fitness, body image. Um, I'll share some examples. And then if nothing sort of comes up for you, uh, I have some like guiding questions that might help prompt something. But something for me was like, <laughs> uh, my family would always say like, you must finish everything on your plate before leaving the dinner table. Like you you cannot leave the table without finishing your plate. Innocent. They just wanted me to, like, eat the food. We don't waste food in this family, right? All stories. But it also taught me to completely ignore my natural hungerfulness view. And so to this day, as a grown-ass woman, hopefully, sorry, I don't know if I can say that, um, I will find myself having a plate of food and be like, oh, I got to finish my plate. And then I'll pause and be like, wait, but I'm full. I can stop now. I don't actually have to finish this plate if I'm full. And so, you know, some other examples might be like we're a family of fast eaters, right? So maybe that's just a story that your family has circulated. We quickly, we eat on the go, you know, things like that. And so starting to think about those food stories, if anything has come to mind for you, Jen, or anyone listening, please share um, in the chat as well. If not, there's some questions I can share too to help get the juices flowing. Well, there's a couple of things for me. I mean, my mom definitely did the same thing. She, you know, she'd fill my plate and if I didn't eat at all, she'd be like, well, Jen, you know, there's starving kids in XYZ place. You need to finish your food or you need to finish your plate. Right. And it would be threat, almost like threatening of like, you better eat your damn food. <laughs> or I'm going to shame the heck out of you when same thing, it taught me to ignore my hunger cues. And it's such an interesting contrast. So I watched the first episode of the Netflix documentary of living to 100 about the blue zones where people live the longest. The first episode takes place in Okinawa. And it was so interesting because I remember hearing about the series being like, oh, this is all going to be about diet and exercise, right? Thinking like, this has to be the thing that's leading these people to live such long lives. But actually, I would say like 80% of it had nothing to do with your diet and exercise, although they do eat a lot of purple sweet potato. Um, But there was this one concept that they had in Okinawa, which was literally eating until you feel 80% full. I think they even have a word for it in a term. And so in that location, you're actually expected to stop eating Once you feel 80% full and that's what you're taught. So 
just so different than I feel like what we're taught here, which is has nothing to do with how full you are. And it's just eat all of the food on your plate, which you probably didn't even make for yourself. Right. Or maybe you made your plate when you were really hungry, which is like grocery shopping hungry. You get way more than you actually need. And then now you're regretting it and feeling wasteful. I'm literally the queen, you guys, of taking my leftovers and throwing it in a Tupperware, even if it's not a full meal. Because here was something that I used to do all of the time, especially at restaurants, is eat. Maybe I would probably eat half my meal and then be like, am I still hungry? Do I still have room? Blah, blah, blah. And then I'd be like, okay, I'll just have a few more bites. A few more bites would turn into half of the half. So I've now eaten 75% of the meal. And then I got to the point where I was like, well, this 25% of the meal isn't enough for a full meal. So I guess I should just eat the whole thing. And then I would feel super overly stuffed. So know that it is okay to eat 75% of your food, put the rest in a Tupperware, and then I'll eat it as a snack the last day, right? I'll just literally, that'll be my mid-morning snack or my mid-afternoon snack. It's a little bit unconventional, but it works out perfectly if you are a snack girly like me. Uh, It's just super helpful, right? So then you don't have to feel like you were wasting it, but then you also don't have to feel like you're overstuffed. Um, The documentary, Shannon... I think it's just called Living to 100 or Blue Zones. It's on Netflix. I think it should be on the like really popular section. Yeah. Okay. Live to 100. Secrets of the Blue Zones. I was pretty close. All I can remember is the giant purple sweet potato in the image. And this is going to blow your mind. Uh, People in Okinawa, 64% of their daily calories come from purple sweet potato alone. And I was like, there's no way I absolutely misheard that. And then you said it a second time and then even showed a chart. And I was like, nope, you definitely said that. Um, but <laughs> I'm like, all right, I guess I'm glad that I eat so many sweet potatoes. So anyways, those were a couple of my food stories. Does anyone want to drop a one in the chat in case you have a food story? I know Coach Ariel and I have talked a ton, but we always love hearing your examples and your perspectives and points of view. Otherwise, we'll just keep going. We have a shy crew tonight. (laughs) Okay, cool. Amazing. So then the next step that we want to take, right, I think is about compassion, right, and understanding for ourselves. So where do we go once we've really understood and identified our food stories or was there an exercise that you even wanted to take us through to wrap up the food stories? I was gonna say I think I'll circle back just for a second for you know whether you're feeling shy now but you want to reflect later to share this too is you know just take inventory if you have some that come to mind of those food stories and then the key is to question them. So where did I learn this and is it true? Right. So um I love that you shared the example of of the one from Okinawa that is actually helpful. And so if that was your food story and you wanted to maintain that and it was supportive for you, you could decide then, yes, this is true for me. This this, um, feels good. If you're having trouble even thinking of food stories, you can kind of um, frame it um, by doing it based on periods of time in your life or a source. 
So you might say, I need to do this for food. I like this exercise of thinking about your relationship with fitness and body image as well. So what did I learn? You can ask, what did I learn about food, fitness, or body image in my childhood as a teenager and in my adulthood? Those messages might be very different. They might be very similar. You might notice some themes. You can also ask it in reference to a source. So what did I learn about food, fitness, or body image from my mother, from my father, from my siblings, from my grandparents, from media, and just making you know, little lists of things that come to mind in those sections, and that might help support you in, in uncovering some of these stories that maybe you didn't even realize, right? Going back to the beginning, some of these are unconscious, and we're kind of just operating from them, and then the next step of that is to question it. Where did, where did I learn this that applies, and is this true for me? Do I want to continue to uh, continue believing this as my truth? Um, so that would just kind of wrap up the, the food story. Yeah, amazing. I'm just dropping these in the comments so that way you can reflect on these after the call. You know, it's one thing to listen to Mindset Monday, but it's another it's another to really write down and jot down a few notes after the fact. I mean, so many studies go to show that when we take notes, write things down and take the time to reflect after learning something, we are too to 10 times more likely to retain that information, which I know sounds crazy, but imagine, think of all of the TV shows on Netflix that you've ever watched, right? Watching TV is so passive. I think it would be very unlikely that I could just be like, hey, what happened in season two, episode 13 on Suits, which I think a lot of you have seen um, because you always smile and laugh when I bring it up or on Gilmore Girls, or Grey's Anatomy, I don't know, like whatever the TV show is, you're not going to recall that one thing. So I want this to be something that you remember so vividly and impacts you long term. And so make sure you do journal after the fact. And so now, where do we go from here in terms of the transition on like what the way out is? Yeah, so obviously, you know, the theme throughout is, is guilt we've kind of talked about seeing the stories, where it all came from, and then it's like, what do we do now? Um, and so a lot of the times we've sort of learned or we think that we need to use guilt or shame or to criticize ourselves to stop a certain behavior pattern. That's maybe the coping mechanism that we've learned. Um, but I'm sure we can all agree from experience that it doesn't usually actually help. Um, if it does, it's a bit more short term and, it, you know, a short term solution. And I know for me personally, what I find ends up happening if I use the method of shame, guilt and self-criticism, I just feel way, way worse than where I started. Right. It's like adding on this extra layer on top of the behavior that you already like maybe didn't want to be doing. Um, I feel like way more unmotivated. I'm discouraged and call a hole never come out ever again um <laughs> and I used to I had to like come up with a frame for it for myself and I call this like the guilt hangover and shame puddle and it's just that feeling of like when you just want to you know put the blanket over and be like no one look at me I'm so ashamed I'm so embarrassed um whatever that narrative is for you um and you start to have thoughts like what's the point I've failed already this is too hard. I'll never be able to do this, right? This is what 
the guilt, hangover, and shame huddle feels like. Um, and so the way out of that, instead, the alternative approach is self-compassion. And I think compassion can get a bad rap. It can feel like complacency and like, no, <laughs> that's not going to help me. But I want you to just try it this year. Try it this holiday. Don't, you know, believe me off face value. Just be willing to experiment. Um, analogy I like to use is if you've ever seen um, those uh, uh, Chinese finger traps where you like you stick your finger on either side. The more you pull, the more you pull. What happens is you get tighter, tighter, tighter. That's what happens when we add guilt, when we add shame, when we add criticism on top of the behavior. We just pull it tighter. We fall deeper into the spiral. We, you know, go completely off the wagon, all of those things. If we want to loosen the grip, we have to bring self-compassion, right? We have to bring acceptance. And then the grip will start to loosen. We can start to think things more like, okay, maybe I didn't want to do that. Next time I'll do better. We start to be able to look at, you know, implement things like the clean slate policy. That's so popular here. Um, we start to be able to, you know, say things like, my best meal is going to be after my worst meal, right? I can just make a different choice moving forward, right? It, it brings a lot more lightness to the situation. And so we can make more empowered actions, choices, we feel more energized and motivated. And the resulting behaviors reflect that, right? Versus the other way, you know, the shame puddle, the guilt hangover, it extends, it perpetuates. Um, and so what I, again, would just invite you guys to do is try this whole self-compassion thing out, see how it lands for you this month even. Um, and if you find it challenging to be self-compassionate, um, it could be helpful to kind of think about if you were talking to a best friend, if you were talking to a loved one, it can usually help you kind of generate those feelings of compassion, right? We tend to be way kinder, way more compassionate to our our pups, our animals, our um, friends, our loved ones, and things like that. Think about what would you say to them? Would you be talking to them that way? Probably not. And that can kind of usually start to soften that grip, and then we can make moves from there. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I love the metaphor of the Chinese finger trap, right? Because the more and more we push, we guilt, we shame, the tighter we're making that grip around ourselves, the worse we're feeling. And I don't know if anyone's ever done this, but I've absolutely been in phases of my life, right? Where it was like, I would be so upset with myself over going off track with my diet, my fitness routines, et cetera, et cetera, that I would then lash out and be like, well, I'm a lost cause now. And then I would swing even further in the negative direction because I just felt so awful about it. And it wasn't until I learned to wipe the slate clean, let go, forgive myself, have the compassion without being complacent and really learn from that experience that I felt that I was truly able to let go of the guilt and let go of the grip that I felt like food and alcohol and just certain things really add on me. And so for the sake of time, since we're just down to our five final 
minutes, I know that you also have some strategies that you really wanted to leave the squad with tonight as you're wrapping up our call. So what are the strategies that we can actually use to take and implement this in the real world, leaving tonight's conversation? Absolutely. So um, just to kind of like wrap that up too, obviously the goal for all of that is um, so you can enjoy this holiday season, right? Enjoy this amazing life and holidays guilt once we can kind of move through that, done some pre-internal work, we feel clear, then we can really set ourselves up for success. And Coach Alana did an amazing job of like detailing some of these in the previous um, Mindset Monday call too. So definitely recommend like listening to that again or for the first time. Um, so just some more strategical things is, you know, don't try to save your calories going in beforehand. Right. So um, have balanced meals, eat, you know, relatively normally throughout the day, um, you, you know, using moderation and portion sizes and all the things. Um, when you're in that scenario, when you're at the Thanksgiving dinner or whatever it is, pause between your plates. Right. Take a second. Have some water. Have a little chat with, you know, Aunt Jo. <laughs> Let her know you love the stuffing. And then if you are still hungry after that, go for another plate. Um, prioritize your protein and your veggies on your plate. Have them first, right? That can also be really helpful too, just giving your body the nutrients it needs, feeling satiated. You'll just be in a better mindset and position to make smarter choices moving forward versus, you know, binging or overindulging and things like that. Um, this can work for some. I like to have like several small plates versus like stacking just one big plate. Um, when I do that, I'll tend to like eat with my eyes and just be like, do it all, you know, and I'm reliving that childhood story again. Where I'm like, I've got to eat it all versus just like have a small plate, take, you know, smaller portions of what you like. And then if you want more, you can always, you know, go back up for more. Um, the next one is practicing mindful eating, which we've talked about as well. So just really enjoying the food while you're there, savoring each bite enjoying you know the taste the texture the flavors all of those things we only get to have these things sometimes once a year right special occasions to really enjoy it and then um the last one i'll leave you guys with is prioritize mod moderation and not deprivation so the pumpkin pie the apple pie you know whatever it is that you guys have as you know your special desserts enjoy them do it in moderation and if you follow you know, those other steps and things beforehand, it will like largely increase your chances of not overdoing it and falling into that sort of binging cycle as well. Um, one last thing I want to say is always, I think I say this a lot. Um, I think my clients probably hear me say this a lot too. And it's so powerful, whether it's holidays, vacation, travel, is just focus on controlling the controllables. In a lot of these situations, we can feel like things are outside of our control, but if we can always put ourselves in the driver's seat, focus on the things that we can choose for ourselves to make that healthier choice for ourselves and focus on that versus all of the things that maybe seem out of our control, we're just gonna feel a lot better. We're gonna enjoy the holidays and we're gonna alleviate all, if not a lot of that guilt. Yeah. I think if you forget everything that we have said in the last 58 minutes and the only thing 
that you remember is that you are in control. You are in the driver's seat and you get get to decide what does or does not happen every single day, every single holiday, every single weekend, every single social gathering. That is the one thing that I really want you to take away. I know sometimes the choice doesn't necessarily feel easy or simple. It might be way more complex, but no, you are an adult. You get to say yes and you get to say no, and you get to choose when that does and does not happen. So just know the power is in your hands and we are here to build you up, to consistently remind you of that and to teach you the different strategies to keep consistent with those different habits, routines, boundaries, compassions, and really everything that we've talked about tonight. So Coach Ariel, I just want to thank you so stinking much for coming on tonight and chatting and sharing about, you know, food guilt, the holidays, balance, boundaries, triggers, and everything that we've really talked about tonight. Of course, if you guys want to continue this conversation, go to Coach Ariel's office hours or continue the conversation with your coach. I hope that you ladies have the most amazing, incredible rest of your evening. Let's make it a fantastic week. And always, always, always remember squad that the best is yet to come. We'll see you guys later. Bye.